Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 182, Apple's Underestimated Manufacturing Apparatus. Hi, I'm Neil. It's good to be back. Today's discussion has been a few months in the making. We have to go back to when Apple unveiled the HomePod Mini. Shortly thereafter, I had ordered two devices, and I had to wait a few weeks for the speakers to arrive in the mail. When they did arrive, one of my first observations had to do with the box and a phrase that was on the box. It was something different than I usually saw, and that got me thinking. In today's episode, we are going to talk about Apple's supply chain and manufacturing apparatus and the evolution that is taking place. I don't think consensus is quite on the ball when it comes to this topic. One phrase that has become a fixture on Apple device boxes and some Apple products is designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. Those eight words may not mean much to the average Apple consumer, but they sum up how a company now worth more than $2 trillion became one of the largest sellers of consumer gadgets. A gradual change to Apple's supply chain and product manufacturing apparatus is now underway. One byproduct of this change is an increasing number of Apple product boxes no longer contain the phrase designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. Instead, we are seeing new phrases, and I think this has implications for how Apple will approach product manufacturing in the 2020s. There is value in taking a closer examination into this phrase, designed by Apple in California, assembled in China. We can begin with designed by Apple. Most analysts and pundits have landed on Apple's custom silicon efforts as a defining source of the company's success, the single most important factor that explains how Apple has been able to stand out from its peers. And we see a lot of this with the max transition to Apple's custom silicon. I think one thing that kind of took place is that some people just became so familiar with the iPhone, the iPad, and even Apple wearables that it didn't really hit them what Apple was exactly doing with custom silicon. It took the Mac to wake those people up. While Apple silicon is undoubtedly a key differentiator for the company, the decade-long bet that Apple placed there isn't the fundamental reason why the company is where it is today. Instead, one has to look at the processes and culture that made Apple's silicon efforts possible in the first place. Ultimately, Apple's design-led culture is the single most responsible factor behind the company's ability to expand its install base to more than a billion people. The thing is, we're not just talking about a billion customer relationships. We're talking about some of the strongest and most loyal connections in the corporate world. The loyalty and customer satisfaction that underpin those customer connections, those customer relationships, play a big role in how the iPhone has had momentum for so long. We can take a look at the iPad and Mac seeing renewed momentum as well. It all comes back to people enjoying the experiences that they're getting from Apple. What's the factor behind that? What's driving those experiences? It's Apple's design-led culture. Apple placed a big bet on design. Their focus was on how we use products. And Apple was proven right. Believing that technology is too powerful of a force to enjoy without acquired perception 
and natural intelligence made Apple an outlier. We now see other companies trying to emulate Apple's design-led thinking and culture with varying degrees of success. So those first three words, designed by Apple, are incredibly important. We turn to the next two words in the phrase designed by Apple in California, assembled in China, in California. While those residing in the U.S. may not make much out of the in California component of that phrase, Apple's roots and heritage are intertwined with Silicon Valley. Apple can best be described as a headquarters-centered company. Despite announcing major expansion plans in Austin, Texas, and New Presence's expansion in Seattle, San Diego, Culver City, Pittsburgh, New York, Boston, Portland, Boulder, everything comes back to Apple Park in Cupertino, California. Apple Park can be thought of as the sun, with all of these satellite offices and campuses revolving around it. Of course, when the topic of expansion comes up, we can look outside the U.S. with Apple placing big bets on Germany, Israel, and a few other countries. Going back to that list of U.S. cities that Apple is looking to expand or actually have a new presence in, there are specific drivers behind each one of those cities. Now, some of this is really from my own research and examination and not necessarily Apple's public disclosures. For Seattle, we have the ability for Apple to poach Amazon employees and, of course, Microsoft employees. For San Diego, that's to poach Qualcomm employees. Culver City, we're talking about Hollywood talent. Pittsburgh, we're talking about autonomous systems. New York, that's media and publishing. Boston, we are looking at robotics. Portland, hardware-related efforts. There's Boulder, a little bit tricky, but I think that's probably related to health-related efforts. One takeaway from all of that is that the era when it was either Silicon Valley or bust ended years ago. However, that doesn't mean Silicon Valley has been displaced as one of the most concentrated sources of innovation and new age thinking in the world. There have been recent attempts by some to paint other parts of the U.S., like Miami and Austin, as some kind of new Silicon Valley. It may make for a great tweet thread and a blog post, but it's kind of ridiculous. For every person fleeing Silicon Valley, there are multiple people ready to be a replacement. The controversial part of design by Apple in California, assembled in China, is assembled in China. For some products, Apple has relied on made in China. In recent years, Apple's extensive ties to China regarding its supply chain and manufacturing apparatus have been labeled as major liabilities. At least in the Western world, headlines and narratives are universally slanted against Apple's approach to China, home to approximately 15% to 20% of Apple's users. Many pundits want Apple to simply close up shop in China and abandon its users in the country. Of course, Apple has no interest in doing that, and they shouldn't do that. As relations between the world's two economic powerhouses deteriorate, Apple has been described as being stuck in the middle. Of course, such a simplistic description lacks nuance. When it comes to China, Apple's position is not nearly as perilous as Western media wants people to think. I've lost track of the number of times people have said Apple's business in China has imploded. 
The reality is Apple has been able to maintain its premium brand status in China, while the brand remains heavily influential in China's tech scene. It's not outlandish to say that most non-iPhone smartphones sold in China are heavily inspired by the iPhone. And again, that's putting it nicely. The same can be said about wearables being inspired by Apple Watch and wireless AirPods. In addition to a strong brand, Apple has a few things going for it when it comes to its power standing and positioning in China. Being ultimately the driver behind the largest private employer in China means something. Not only are Apple products that are destined for sale in China made in China, but the country has been responsible for manufacturing Apple products that are then sold in other countries. That's important. Being home to Apple's supply chain manufacturing apparatus gives China power and standing in its economic battle with the U.S. and increasingly other countries like India. This brings us to my experience of HomePod Mini. We won't talk too much about my listening experience with the product. I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. As someone who has used multiple HomePods since launch, again, that is the one that was discontinued, the large HomePod, using a HomePod Mini is a little bit underwhelming. The product just simply does not compare to HomePod when it comes to speaker quality. Now, there's a lot going on with the HomePod right now. We have not talked about the HomePod discontinuation and the changing strategy, at least in this podcast. I have talked about it extensively in the daily updates in the daily podcast. But for this discussion, we're going to actually keep our talk about the box, the HomePod mini box. One of my initial observations about that box was that it didn't contain the usual design by Apple in California, assembled in China phrase. Instead, it said design by Apple in California, made in Vietnam. Rumors had pegged the new HomePod mini as being assembled in Vietnam. Even then, seeing Vietnam on the box was an eye-opener. If we take a step back from the HomePod mini, we see Apple embark on a broader move away from China for product manufacturing. I went through Apple's product line to see which products are currently or will be assembled outside of China. I then grouped those products by country. And just to be clear, for the products that will be assembled outside of China, this is based on rumors. It's based on reporting. It's not from Apple. So we begin with Vietnam. We have AirPods Pro, HomePod Mini. For rumored products coming up, we have AirPods, iPad, and Mac. We then turn to India, where there is already iPhone manufacturing. The rumor mill has the iPad soon being manufactured in India. And again, that is a portion of overall iPads, not the entire iPad line. Next up is Malaysia, where there are Mac Minis being manufactured. And then there is the U.S., where the Mac Pro is assembled. While the Mac Pro has been assembled in the U.S. for years, the device sells in such low numbers that it's tough to say Apple has exactly embraced U.S. manufacturing. One takeaway from that list is that a handful of countries in Southeast Asia are now in a position to manufacture Apple products. Some of this is due to governments increasingly accommodating foreign investment. 
Another factor is Apple's longtime and vital business partner, Foxconn, showing a renewed effort to diversify its own business and footprint outside of China. At the heart of this manufacturing transformation, one simple principle is guiding Apple, retaining power. By diversifying product assembly outside of China, Apple ends up pitting both governments and assemblers against each other. Apple stands to be one of the largest beneficiaries from increased economic rivalry between China, India, and Southeast Asia countries. Apple continues to take advantage of India's more friendly and accommodating environment to bring a growing portion of iPhone production to the country. When we look at some of the finer strategy details found with Apple's move, instead of announcing a big change, like we are going to move all iPhone production out of China, or we are no longer going to manufacture products in China. I think Western media is demanding those kind of announcements for years. We see Apple taking a more practical and intelligent approach. The company remains careful not to disrupt its existing assembly apparatus. The vast majority of product assembly remains in China. Instead, Apple has looked outside of China to handle assembly for newer products that sell in much lower volumes relative to the iPhone. When Apple is ready to make those decisions, the final call is not just based on Apple's product assemblers, Foxconn, Pegatron, Luxshare, Wishtron, but also the ability of key suppliers to work with the diversification efforts. We won't go into this in too much detail, but the way all of this works is that Apple itself does not manufacture products. It's not that there's a web of factories where Apple is building iPhones, iPads, and Apple Watches. Instead, Apple relies on companies called contract manufacturers. So that's the Foxconns, Pegatrons of the world. And it's not that Apple just goes to these companies saying, build us this iPhone or build us this iPad. Here's how to do it. Instead, A company like Foxconn brings a lot to the table, and there is a relationship, a long-term relationship between Foxconn and Apple in terms of how to build a lot of these products. What I like to say is it's pretty easy to build one iPhone or build one new Apple Watch. It's a lot harder to build 100 million of an iPhone model or build tens of millions of Apple Watches per year. A company like Foxconn makes it happen. So while Apple doesn't own an expansive web of factories, they do own machinery and tools located inside those factories. And very often that machinery is one of a kind in order to meet Apple's very specific and demanding needs. I talked a little bit more about this in a recent daily update, including some of the financial reasons why Apple does not want to own all these factories, but instead is comfortable owning just the machinery and the tools. Circling back to this discussion of product assemblers and suppliers, Apple benefits from having resources and assets close to assemblers. And this is one reason why it had been difficult to move manufacturing out of China, because we're not just talking about product assemblers, but we are talking about a pretty expansive supply chain that was essentially built around the assemblers. Looking down the road, it is reasonable to expect a growing percentage of Apple products will be assembled outside of China. 
it is even likely that Apple will bring manufacturing back to the U.S., and we would be talking something much larger than the Mac Pro. Instead of iPhones and iPads being made in Alabama, Georgia, or Tennessee, it is more likely that Apple cars will one day be produced in sprawling plants that are owned by third parties but contain Apple-owned machinery and equipment. As we begin to wrap up this conversation, I think the key word is evolution. Apple is quietly and gradually showing us that the phrase designed by Apple in California, assembled in China, will evolve. The company remains heavily invested in China, and that likely won't change in the near term. However, by gradually diversifying product assembly into other countries, Apple ends up showing the world that its supply chain contains much more optionality than critics imagined. This is why I continue to think Apple's supply chain and manufacturing apparatus remains underestimated. I don't think consensus is giving Apple enough credit for what it has built over the past two decades. While all of the attention continues to be on the U.S. versus China and how Apple is stuck in the middle and they are one decision away from implosion, I think there is a more relevant and a more accurate way of looking at all of this. There is a battle going on between the world's top economic powers for Apple's business. Apple is one of the few companies that can give a country legitimacy when it comes to manufacturing. And there are a growing number of countries that desperately want that legitimacy. This is why I think countries battling each other for Apple's business will be a key theme to watch in the 2020s. That will conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed this discussion and analysis and you want more of it throughout the week, consider becoming an Above Avalon member. Members have exclusive access to my daily updates about Apple. These updates are emails. Each one is about 2,000 words and goes over everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. Simply put, we cover a lot in these updates. To get a feel for the topics, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and go to the daily updates page. You will see the discussion topics for all 1,100 plus updates that have been published to date. To get these updates delivered straight into your email inbox throughout the week, all you have to do is sign up at AboveAvalon.com. Go to the membership page and fill out one of the sign-up forms. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Membership includes access to the archive, so you can go back and read previously sent updates. You also gain access to Above Avalon Reports and my Apple Earnings Model. You also have the option of customizing your membership with add-ons. There is a podcast add-on, so you can get each and every written update, also in audio form. So if you enjoy this podcast, which is accessible to everyone, I know you would like the daily podcasts. There are already 123 episodes of Above Avalon Daily. They all become available to you when you attach the podcast add-on to an Above Avalon membership. The podcast add-on is just $10 per month or $100 per year. As a brand new membership add-on option, you can now bundle an Above Avalon membership with an Inside Orchard subscription. Inside Orchard is a new site I just launched dedicated to my thoughts on the broader technology industry. A subscription provides exclusive access to written articles and a weekly podcast. Above Avalon members have access to a pretty great bundle offer. Everything you need to know about the add-ons is found at AboveAvalon.com and then the membership page. 
a growing number of people are becoming above Avalon members with the add-ons already attached to their membership at sign up. So I'm happy to see that. Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership. So if you enjoy Above Avalon as an independent source of analysis and perspective, consider becoming a member. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.